the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Well, I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. I hope you can hear me. Can't quite hear myself, but as long as you can hear me, that's all that matters on this Monday edition of Lifeline. We are two days away, Tuesday, Wednesday, from July 4th, Independence Day, a day that marked the separation between England and America, a day that began the excursion and journey and trajectory and history of our great nation, and um, I'm free as an African-American male to talk with you on the radio about virtually everything under the sun within the bounds of the rules of the FCCA uh, radio stations across this nation, and glad to be talking with you, Jesse Giston, Monday edition of Lifeline. Um, I hope you're all right. Just really do hope you're all right. Joel, you all right over there? Can can you hear me? Uh, Can I hear you? Yeah, I can hear you. Good, good. Can y'all hear me out there? If you can, just say amen or hallelujah or uh, praise the Lord. Uh, yeah, we hear you, PJ. And if you do, uh, good. I'm going to give you the number right quick, and then we'll just try to uh, create, produce, um, develop, um, uh, I don't know, bring about uh, a program for today. one 888 Three six seven five three two nine. That is the number to reach me today with salient, relevant, uh, uh, time sensitive topics, subject matters, uh, questions, comments, what have you, uh, to to produce a program today. If you have if you have them, uh, I will be asking you a couple of questions around uh, what's coming up in the next couple of days. I, you know, I don't hardly ever peruse the news these days. I did many years ago when I first started doing the Monday edition of Lifeline. I thought, um, and I was compelled by the the models of talk radio that uh, were around me uh, at the time, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and many of the, uh, even the local programs on uh, 680, you guys know them, KGO, et cetera, and, and the morning shows that uh, that still run on KSFO. A lot of the guys, they, they're all good as well. And I thought, well, I better make sure that I echo some of the uh, daily events, daily activities, some of the troubles in the world, challenges we're having in our government, political issues that that they're important. I suppose they are important. And and yet over the years, and we did, if you guys have been tracking with me for the last 10, 11, 12 years, we have covered all of the important issues. I mean, from 9-11 all the way through all of the critical events 
uh, that have occurred in our world, the death of famous people, uh, several uh, different tragedies, if not uh, successes throughout um, the last 10, 11, 12 years. <clears throat> but over the last couple, two or three, maybe even four years, you know, as you get older, you time squeezes in and you might call it a year and it's been three or you might call it three years. It's been five or you might call it five years and it's been eight or nine years. Um, that's just a consciousness thing. When you get older, you just don't have the same kind of definitive sensitivity to chronological time as you did when you were in your middle ages. But uh, I, I veered away from any kind of being compelled uh, on Monday morning to to read through, peruse, or even delve deeply into the different media topics and issues. I listen to them from a distance, you know, kind of having one ear open to uh, what's going on with Iran and how, you know, the Trumpster is addressing that, what's going on on the border and all of those kind of things. I still hear them. I hear a lot of what's going on in this present, uh, you know, election race with the multiple uh, Democratic candidates, 20 of them to 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 be exact right now. They'll dwindle down in the next couple of months to about four or five. And then you will have, uh, you know, the kind of ridiculous extremist hyper leftist Democrats uh, pushing for uh, cotton candy in the mouths of the American citizens. And it always works. They're always giving you more and more and more and more hypothetically. That's the whole goal of politics to give you what you want, knowing that they're not going to give you what they want, what you want when once they become elected or um, chosen to office, what have you. And then we'll have another uh, a fiasco of, um, of dialectical hostilities between the left and right. Kind of boring, if you ask me, and and distracting ultimately from what the people of God ought to be always really engaging in. And that is a deeper, more profound, more richly relevant walk with your God. All right, I'll throw the gauntlet down and kind of say it. For real. I mean, for real. Um... Is your soul really, truly enhanced, deeply and profoundly enhanced in the sense of what God has ordained for mankind to be in God's original uh, prophetic uh, utterance of the scope and design and and purpose and, and position and prominence of mankind as his vicar on earth? You remember what God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let them have dominion over everything. Let them fill the earth, replenish it and subdue it. And that prophetic word in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 really is the mandate of humanity to walk with God. Now, since Adam and Eve sought to do the very opposite of the ultimate Adam, they sought to grasp for glory when the final Adam, the last Adam, made himself of no reputation because he knew who he was. Uh, When the first Adam and Eve fell into sin and rebellion and plunged the whole human race into it, we've been drifting from God ever since. Just imagine yourself in a little rowboat without oars. Drifting further and further and further away from the island of truth, the island of grace, the island of fellowship 
with the one true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ. The, the island of communion and, and deep and intimate and unmitigated and unfiltered fellowship with God. That's what Adam had when he was in the garden. Him and Eve drifted him and Eve drifted off by virtue of their rebellion against him. And we've been drifting ever since. And, and, and what, what am I saying behind that? I'm saying that it takes a long time. Would you not agree that uh, that we would find ourselves having to wake up to the reality that we have drifted from God? I'm talking personally now. Don't turn and look at your neighbor. Just look at the preacher. Uh, stay on the pulpit right now. It takes a long time sometimes to realize that we have drifted away from God in our own personal walk, in our own personal thoughts, in our priorities, in our passions, our commitments, in our in our in our thinking, in our aspirations. Would you would you agree with that? Sometimes you wake up and you go, where in the world am I at? And you know what does not help you? Secular political rivalry, tribalistic diatribes and, and demagoguery, uh, arguments and, 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 and uh, uh, battles and wars over terms and phrases and, and political and social issues that really don't speak to the eternal verity for which God created you and me. Would you agree with that? I mean, you know, you get attracted to it because we're silly human beings being fallen. We love cotton candy frequently and and it gives us a boost, an energy boost. We get we get quickened. Right. And and get excited. And sometimes we want to do something about it. And then the energy goes down. I'm telling the truth. Go. Amen. The energy goes down and you kind of just stay right where you are. That's how most people work. And you go to work and you pay your bills and you do the best you can. And you operate out of that that fundamental cycle of the hamster on the wheel. And you hope that somehow that it would ultimately ferret out into some kind of relevant and significant life. It may or it may not, but we can be sure about this, that if you're not in Christ, if you don't have a connection with the true and the living God, if you really, really are not engaged in a walk with God, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you're not connected to the Father by the Son through the Spirit, I mean really connected in a real vital way, All is vanity, just like Solomon said. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity because it all has such a temporary, uh, fleeting, vaporous, ethereal significance. It just, in light of eternity, it doesn't matter. And so when you do have the preacher saying to you, look up, that's where your redemption is. Cast your eyes upon God. That's where the glory is. Fix your heart on the true and the living God. That's where the light is. Prostrate yourself before him. That's where mercy is. Incline your heart unto his testimonies. That's where wisdom is. Hear his voice. That's where revelation is. And stay there until God has done something so profoundly wonderful in your life that when you go about your daily task on the mundane levels, something of the glory of God can emanate from you and be a benefit to other people, as opposed to every time we open our mouth, there's some carnal thing about politics and social issues and and things that really don't matter. I can tell you that right now. Really, just 
don't ultimately matter if they are not used as tools to catapult us into a conversation about the eternal things. And, and that's what it means to be sons and daughters of God in a broken and fallen world, that we would hold forth the word of light in this wicked and untoward generation. Now, you know I'm telling the truth. You know I am telling the truth. The number is one 888 So I'm So let me go ahead on and kind of set a context. I got a bunch of things in my mind. <laughs> let me see if I can formulate them into a program. One is, let me just put this out and I will kind of meter this out throughout the program. We are about to have our fourth annual Wednesday Summer Psalms Bible Study. Wednesday Summer Psalms Bible Study at Grace Bible Church at 11 a.m. this Wednesday, July 3rd. Until like August 22nd, the final Wednesday in August, I think. So it's about seven weeks we're going to be having this Bible study right before lunch. If you want to have something that's really going to impact your soul and, and really give you a boost, you know, like we, we sometimes take five-hour energy to be able to get past that second half of the day. If you really, really, really want to have something that's going to boost your soul, uh, prioritize joining me this Wednesday at Grace Bible Church at 11 o'clock. Bring your Bibles and be particularly ready to go through the Psalms. Now, over the last four years, we have had a fabulous time of uh, exposition in the Psalms, opening up the Psalms, uh, peering into the Psalms, and and understanding the rich, rich, rich prophetic and and practical and 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 relevant truth of uh, the people of God in the Psalms. Now, now, what are what are the Psalms? The Psalms are really the history of God's promises to God's people in the person of Jesus Christ. As they journey through this world, what are the Psalms? The Psalms are really the history of God's promises, his unfailing faithfulness and promises to his people in the person of Jesus Christ. All the Psalms are messianic, as you would know if you know your Bibles about who? Jesus. And what we get a chance to do for seven weeks, ladies and gentlemen, is to kind of just go into the structure, into the history of the Psalms, understand the meaning and significance of the Mizmar, the Psalmist, the, the Psalms, and, and how God inspired the authors who wrote the Psalm to set them in a fashion of hymnody or, or uh, psalmody, because they were songs to be sung in the old ancient people's worship tabernacle and temple, and they are psalms to be sung today among the people of God, according to Colossians chapter 3, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, making melody from the heart unto the Lord, as you um, submit yourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Uh, being enriched by the word of God. So that's what we do for seven weeks. And I have not met one person who has ever joined us in that Psalm study who has not been significantly blessed. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about it to what your whistle after I come back from the break. But that's what I'm excited about. I, for years, I have been thinking, Lord, you know, since I started ministry, I started in my middle 30s. Uh, and God was gracious enough to start us with a handful of people. And we've had uh, what I would consider uh, a relative uh, success as a local ministry over the uh, 23 years that we've been uh, in ministry. And I'm thankful for um, uh, still being uh, strong and committed to exposition and preaching and teaching. Uh, we hold a, 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 a model at grace of being sound in our doctrine, fervent in our charity, 
and zealous in our evangelism. That's the structure and missional statement at Grace Bible Church. Sound in doctrine passionate and fervent in our love one towards another and radically missional in terms of wanting to see men and women know God in the person of Christ. And so uh, we, we take Christ's word serious. Lo, I come in the volume of the book is written of him. So we want to know him and the Psalms allow us to do that in a rich way. And I can tell you now for seven weeks, we're only going to be in one Psalm. That's right. One Psalm 91 a powerful, multi-metaphorical, rich, profoundly comforting and encouraging psalm, messianic in its ultimate message, but richly, richly practical in terms of the intimacy and fellowship and, and protection and provision of God's people. Promises upon promises in those 16 verses, and we're going to unpack that verse by verse for seven weeks. And I'm trusting the Lord is going to show us things out of his law, wonderful things out of his law that we have never seen before. Transformative, informative, evocative, provocative, if you will, compelling, propelling as well to move us out in loving obedience to him because of all that he's done. All right, I'm going to take a break. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. When I come back, I got one, two, three, four, five questions that I want to raise about uh, Independence Day, and then I'll take your phone calls on any topic whatsoever that's worthy of discussion. If it's not worthy of discussion, we will immediately executed from the program. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Holla at me. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back at the time, 524. I hope you're happy in the Lord. I hope you are blessed in the Lord, blessed in a significant and substantial way. Not in just the superficial term, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. I mean, really blessed in the Lord. <laughs> in a way in which you can tell people the distinct difference between the blessing of a believer and the non-believer are these. And you can lay it out. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm blessed with the no factor of being able to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. I'm blessed in that God has revealed his glory to me in Jesus Christ, and I know him and he knows me. I'm blessed that I have eternal life because God has forgiven me of my sins, and by faith I trust Christ as my Savior. You can go on and on and on with the blessings that God bestows upon them that trust him. All right, so let me just kind of... um. Talk a little bit about Independence Day, just to put it out there, because the 4th is coming, uh, July 4th, and I don't know what you're going to do, but me and my baby going to just kind of walk and peruse and traverse and uh, uh, trod the grounds of uh, of the fair, the uh, Pleasanton Fair. I think that's what we're supposed to do. I'm looking forward to it. I, I love to just kind of be in that atmosphere where people are happy and having fun. Hopefully, there will be some good bands there, you know, to enjoy some music. I it's hot, right, and pleasant. So at least let's just get some good music going on, all right? Keep some water, lemonade, and whatever whatever else is there to keep our cool. And then, you know, I like to bounce in and out of those air-conditioned rooms where they sell all sorts of um, whatnots and what have you. Don't buy any of it. <laughs> just go through because you need to cool down. And then go back out into the heat and, and watch the game every now and then. I'll, because I love basketball, I'll take uh, maybe 5 or $10 and try to shoot 
those um, official size basketballs into those unofficial size rims. That's the reason why you lose. You do understand that the rim di- uh, parameters are are just about an inch and a half uh, wider than the basketball. That means that it takes virtually some absolute professional skills to arc that ball through the hoop, unlike the hoop that we purchase or the hoop at the gym or even the hoop in the NBA. They're much wider, both for the men and the women. But it's fun to try. Uh, you know, It's just fun to try. Get three out of five, and you get this one little, little doll that you can almost put in your back. Anyhow, a history of Independence Day. This is an article from uh, the History Channel. When the initial battle in the Revolutionary, Revolutionary War broke out, in 1775, few colonists desired complete independence from Great Britain, and those who did were considered radical. Let me say that again. When the initial battle in the Revolutionary War broke out in April of 1775, you know what 1776 was. Few colonists desired complete independence from Great Britain, and those who did were considered radical. Now, see, I can talk about this on a spiritual level. Everybody that's in the movement of freedom doesn't necessarily want to be free. I continue to quote, by the middle of the following year, however, many more colonists had come to favor independence thanks to growing hostility against Britain and the spread of revolutionary sentiments such as those expressed in the best-selling pamphlet Common Sense published by Thomas Paine in early 1776. On June 7th, When the Continental Congress met at the Pennsylvania State House, later Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the Virginia delegate Richard Henry Lee introduced a motion calling for the colony's independence. That's on June 7th of 1776. Amid heated debate, Congress posted the vote on Lee's resolution, but appointed a man, a five-man committee, including Thomas Jeff- Jefferson of Virginia, John Adams of Massachusetts, Roger Sherman of Connecticut, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania, and Robert R. Livingston of New York to draft a formal statement justifying the break with Great Britain. Did you know that John Adams believed that July 2nd, was the correct date on which to celebrate the birth of American independence and would reportedly turn down invitations to appear at July 4th events in protest. Now, Adams is one of the five fellas that's formally writing out the resolution, right? And he assumed that because it was resolved uh, on that day of July 2nd, that that's the way it should have been. Now, watch the reason why he protests every year until he died. Adams... And Thomas Jefferson both died on July 4th, 1826. You can do the numbers. The 50th anniversary of the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. 50 years later, after they were uh, formative players in the signing of the document, they died on July 4th. On July 2nd, the Continental Congress voted in favor of Lee's resolution for independence in a near unanimous vote. The New York delegation abstained but later voted affirmatively. On that day, John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, that July 2nd will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival and that the celebration should include pomp and parades and games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires and illuminations from one end of the continent to the other. Is that brother excited or what? And he was sure that it was going to be on July 2nd. 
Now, on July 4th, the Continental Congress formally adopted the Declaration of Independence, which had been written largely by Jefferson, though the vote for actual independence took place on July 2nd. From then on, the 4th became the day that was celebrated as the birth of American independence. Does that tell you something about how men get together and do things and out of pride and self-interest, there's division? All right, let me go ahead on and finish. Early 4th of July celebrations in the pre-revolutionary years, colonists had held annual celebrations of the king's birthday, which traditionally included ringing of bells, bonfires, processions, and speech making. Interesting, here you are, you have separated yourself from the family, but you still celebrate the birthday of the king. By contrast, during the summer of 1776, some colonists celebrated the birth of independence by holding mock funerals for King George III, who was reigning at the time, as a way of symbolizing the end of the monarchy's hold on America and the triumph of liberty. Doesn't this tell you how difficult it is for men and women to enter fully into freedom and independence when it's right there on you, on them in its providential realities, how that we can be dubious enough to be uh, granted an identity with those who are free, but still be attached to our former slave masters. Hint, hint. Festivals including concert bonfires, parades, and the firing of cannons and muskets usually accompanied the first public readings of the Declaration of Independence. By the way, if you go over by our church, you'd swear we'd be back in the War of Independence right now with all the cherry bombs and the firecrackers going right off. Prayer night is something else. It's going to be really amazing tomorrow night at prayer night. If you guys are coming out, uh, you might get you some some earmuffs or something because those boys be dropping bombs in the neighborhood weeks before the 4th. And that's it's not going to be any different tomorrow night. But I love it. I love it. I love it. I could tell you stories. Festivals, including concerts, bonfires, parades, and the firing of cannons and muskets, usually accompanied the first public readings of the Declaration of Independence beginning immediately after its adoption. Philadelphia held the the first annual commemoration of independence on July 4th, 1777, while Congress was still occupied with the ongoing war, celebrating while war is still going on. George Washington issued double rations of rum to all his soldiers to mark the anniversary of independence in 1776. At least they were feeling good. I, go ahead on, George. I mean, you know. And then, and then in 1781, several months, it depends on what kind of rum it was. I mean, you know, rum is kind of, kind of a rock gut, kind of a low base. Anyhow, several months before the key American victory at Yorktown, Massachusetts became the first state to make July 4th an official state holiday. Love it. I love it. I love it. After the Revolutionary War, America's uh, continued to commemorate Independence Day every year in celebrations that allowed the new nation's emergency political leaders to emerging political leaders to address citizens and create a feeling of unity. By the last decade of the 18th century, the two major political parties, the Federalist Party and the Democratic Republicans that had risen, began holding separate Fourth of July celebrations in many large cities. And that really is the sad reality today. Fourth of July becomes a federal holiday. The tradition of patriotic celebration became even more widespread after the War of 1812, in which the United States again faced Great Britain. In 1870, the U.S. Congress made July 4th a federal, celeb- a federal holiday. And in 1941, the provision was expanded to grant a paid holiday to all federal employees. 
employees, long time, 1776 to 1941. See how long it takes for us to establish a formative recognition of real freedom? This applies to your soul, too. Please hear me. Over the years, the political importance of the holiday would decline, but the Independence Day remained an important national holiday and a symbol of patriotism. Falling in midsummer, the 4th of July has since the late 19th century become a major focus of leisure activities and a common occasion for family get-togethers often involving fireworks and outdoor barbecues. Hey, hey! The most common symbol of the holiday is the American flag, and a common musical accompaniment is what we call the Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem of the United States. So hence, you guys will be surrounded by some of those tokens and elements. And here are my five questions before I go to break. I got one caller on the line. Love to hear from you. 1-888-367-5329. Here they are. Here's my question to kind of catapult us into a theological reflection of all things God made. What does freedom mean to you? What does freedom mean to you? Secondly, do you feel as if you are sufficiently free? Do you feel as if you are sufficiently free? What does freedom mean to you? And do you feel as if you are sufficiently free? Here's two more. How does your freedom make you a better person? How does your freedom make you a better person? Fourthly, how does the gospel play a factor in your freedom? I'm going to give you all four. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to wait for the phone lines to fill up, and we're going to talk about it. What does freedom mean to you? Do you feel as if you are sufficiently free? How does your freedom make you a better person? And how does the gospel play a factor in your freedom? Those are the four questions. This is a Monday edition of Lifeline. The number is one 367 Give me a call. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back the time 539 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I raised five questions. I know you heard them uh, as we think about Independence Day and it's moving on us in a couple of days. What does freedom mean to you? Do you feel as if you are sufficiently free? How does your freedom make you a better person? How does the gospel play a factor in your freedom? Pastor, why should I even consider those questions in light of July 4th, Independence Day? It has nothing to do with me. You're wrong. It has everything to do with you. Everything to do with you. Every day you live, freedom and purpose and significance and clarity on who you are and what you should be doing. Is relevant. And there are people all around the world who wish they had what you have in order to be able to express themselves even more fully in the context of freedom. You're going to tell me that it does not matter to you? Um, it does matter. You have privileges and blessings as well as I, for which God expects you and I to be able to give answers to these four questions. What does freedom mean to you? Do you feel as if you are sufficiently free? How does your freedom make you a better person? And how does the gospel play a factor in your freedom? And I'm going to I'm going to add this final sort of caveat. Do you think you deserve to be free? 
I mean, do you really think you deserve to be free? Like, do you think that everybody born in this world is a free person? Do you believe that the world, since the fall of mankind, if you're a professing Christian, assumes and asserts and maintains and protects the freedom of every person born? Do do you believe that everybody born comes into the world with their eyes open with all the possibilities of doing this, that, and the other thing that their heart's desire might passionately want to engage in is accessible to them like they are a free person? Are you kidding? Do you know your freedom was accomplished at an enormous price? You're going to tell me it doesn't matter what, what, what freedom means to you. It doesn't matter if you um, are engaged in understanding the significance of the proportion between your freedom and the freedom that you have in terms of the country you live in and, and the sacrifices that were engaged in to create a citizenship. I mean, of 350 million people who have, if they want to, the right to become one of the most coveted kinds of persons on planet Earth. I've just been on the other side of the world for the multiple time, and I can tell you there was nothing that I experienced anywhere up and down the Mediterranean that I haven't experienced here in America. Like, there wasn't one virtue that I saw in any of the beautiful, exquisitely, terrainly uh, grafted islands. By the way, God did that. No matter what man did on top of the uh, terra firma, uh, God was the one that created those beautiful islands running up and down north and and, and south of uh, the Mediterranean. Uh, the beauty and the splendor and the people and the, the, the gregariousness and the uniqueness and peculiarity and all of the uh, all of the um, cuisines and the expressions that are unique to each of those islands were wonderful to see. None of it I would trade. For where I live in America, it didn't make me turn and look back at America and say, look how raggedy and tattered and toe up and and messed up. She is one of the things I told my leaders, my young men, my my uh, my uh, protégés, the younger colleagues that are coming up. I told them, be careful that you do not let the radio or the television or the propagandists or the media or your professors in college and schools who hate America, who hate this country, who want to see it uh, uh, changed for some uh, euphemistic utopian uh, concept that has no reality anywhere on planet earth. Don't find yourself hating something that somebody else hates on the premise of what they say should be hated when there's no reality behind their hate. Don't let Satan sell you your own vacuum cleaner just because you have forgotten to dust it off and recognize that it works perfectly fine if you use it more frequently and appropriately. He sold Adam and Eve on being like God. And they already were like God. So I'm asking, what does freedom mean to you? Do you feel as if you are sufficiently free? And how does your freedom make you better? How does the gospel play a factor in your freedom? Does it enhance it? Does it motivate it? Does it drive it? Does it give you larger parameters of possibilities and optimism and expectation? Does it allow you to dream? Does it allow you to have visions? Does it give you courage? Does it give you boldness? Does it give you a sense of altruism? Does it make you want to be missional? Does it make you want to say something? to somebody about how good God is to you, or are you sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore? Hmm? 
Two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I want to hear from you. Let me go to line one and talk to my longtime friend, Brother James from the Bay. James, are you there? Yes, sir. How you doing, man? Hey, just staying the course, my brother. How you doing? Good. It's been a long time since I heard from you. What you up to? You know, we're just trying to keep this course. You know, I think you know close about what we're doing, but I'm going to let your brother talk one-on-one with you about that one. You know, we try to do some things out there in the yeah. Poco County area. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it all centered around, you know, around the main, <laughs> around the main thing is, uh, you know, trying to share this gospel with the nation. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and to share the truth, you know, and, and, talking, about, and talking about freedom. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. How, uh, you, I mean, how, it, how it, do you it, how do you feel about your freedom right now, brother James? You you heard me set forth the four based upon the article I read. I'm because I saw you on the line, so I know you uh, arduous. You are ten of you here. Um, <clears throat> how you feeling at this stage of the game? You and I go go back quite a while, and didn't you you know you have some years on you as do I, and we we've been through some things. We have seen some history. We have. Watch the turns, the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of life. We've seen some of the major uh, political events that still have their reverberation in a lot of uh, romanticists in our present culture. Uh, And yet here we are today uh, with the situation that we have today. And how does freedom ring in your soul in terms of, you know, uh, its meaning and, 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 and its sufficiency and its and its inclination to make you want to be more uh, purposeful and better. And, and, you know, in terms of how, how, how you and I have, in the context of an American experience, the gospel and the grace of God. Man, just, just tell me what you think about that. I guess there's so much I want to say about it, uh, Jesse. It's just, I mean, it's just so uh, wonderful to be, it's just so wonderful to be free yep. and to know the truth. Yep. And you know, and once you know the truth, you know that's what brings about freedom. Yeah. And, and once you have it, you know that you can't be sold a lie. I mean, you know the truth. We say the scripture says the truth. You know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Yep. And when you not only know the truth, but you know who the truth is, yep. then you know that you're anchored. You know, no one can sell you a false uh, bill of goods. Yep. Uh, and you know that. Uh, and, and, and you know, and for me, it makes me. I'm I'm really grateful. Yeah, you know it, it, it humbles me because we know there's a a lot of stuff going on. I mean, everybody trying to blame somebody else and nobody mm-hmm. else looking in the mirror. And mm-hmm. when they look in the mirror, they get a distorted view <laughs> of what it is, and they end up a narcissist. You know, and, and it's just wonderful to be anchored. You stir know, the pot, brother. Stir uh, the you know, pot. That's what I'm trying to do. Stir the pot <laughs> right there. Stir that pot. See, see, the Word of God tells us that we are to provoke one another unto love and the good works, to encourage one another as you see the day drawing now. That's what I'm trying to do. It just, it just drives me crazy when the saints of God have the most precious gift in the world, not only the experience of it, but the content of it. And then when we have had years by which we have seen God work in our life, and then the Word of God is with all fit in your lips. I'm just saying somebody begin to think about how grace works in your life to free you, liberate you, to teach you, tether you, keep you, watch over you. Somebody tell me something. Keep going, James. Keep going. I'm listening. I'm hungry. Well, I mean, you have the opportunity. I mean, God, first of all, he's given us this gift, and it ought to be something that we just are just 
spilling over to share with somebody. I agree with you. Especially, especially when you've come from where we've come from and you know that we don't deserve any of it. I agree so with not, you. Not one iota of it. <laughs> and so to, to, to walk around and just not want to share that with somebody and to get caught up in, you know, this, all this vanity that you were speaking of, you know, no matter what you get out of it, you get, Solomon said it best. It's just all vanity. Didn't I mean, he say it? Just nothing. <laughs> he said it. And I'm just glad I was able to uh, reach a point where it's been revealed enough to me to really show it. It is no matter which way you go, no matter what direction you're looking in at the end of the day, you know, there's no satiation for it. I mean, it is nothing. I mean, the goal is glory. It is to make it mm. glory. And try to share mm, and, and mm, share mm, with mm, me. Mm, and it, mm, like, I, like I was sharing with you, I've been sharing with people. Things mean nothing anymore. That's the right. only thing that means any the only substance is relationships with 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 our guy and with each other. You know, and try to and, and trying to bring them in and try to encourage them on in, and, and, and nothing else matters. It's relationships. I agree. And, and, the, and the deeper our relationships with each other, the deeper we get to know each other. And of course, the deeper our relationship with the Lord, the more He reveals to us. And it just it, it just goes around in a circle until we we get caught up out of here. Listen here, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something. I'll let you go because I got to take a break because we got to pay the bills because you and I are constrained by the fetters called time. But I wish somebody would take. <laughs> Up that baton and run from where you are. I've been to the Vatican. I was at the Vatican a couple weeks ago. I had to go there two or three times because I had to peruse the place. I had to do surveillance. I had to do reconnaissance. I had to do reflection. had to do evaluations. All that kind of stuff that a pastor, preacher, teacher has to do. I've been to the Vatican. And you know, you know what messed up my journey through that palatial, spacious, audacious historical conglomerate of all sorts of historical works and figures and peoples that in some ways are matchless around the world. It truly could be called another wonder of the world, the Vatican. Are you hearing what I'm saying, James? Absolutely. I went to the Vatican, my brother. I went to the Vatican, my sister. I I went to the Vatican. I walked the Vatican with my wife because she loves walking. Every aspect of the Vatican, you can walk in where they they allowed, you know, human beings to go. There are parts of it they won't let you go in. I wanted to sneak in, but I still had to try to recognize I was saved. But I went in every aspect of the Vatican I could. And you know what messed me up, James? Yeah. I have already seen the king in his glory. Mm. It messed me up because there is no glory like the glory of God in the person of Christ revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no glory that even rivals it, no glory that matches it. That's, there's no glory that comes near it. Everything fades, everything tarnishes, everything diminishes, everything quivers, everything squivers, everything gets small, everything gets diminished. Nothing is of major impression. It all is at best a kind of um, comedic um, facility, uh, simile of something that had uh, maybe a remote momentary promise, if that whatsoever. And I'm referring to the gold and I'm referring to the uh, ivory and I'm referring to all of the wealthy, opulent elements that went into the whole of the Vatican, every aspect of it, the iconography, the images, the paintings, the, the largest paintings, the walls, the ceilings and all of that, the history, the icons, the artifacts, the writings, all that, James, 
And when Solomon says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, you know what he was saying? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And when one beholds the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and it impacts your soul at the level of transformation and deep, deep, rich, rich revelation, nothing on planet Earth even comes close to it. I was messed up before I got to the Vatican. And when I left, I said nothing to it. I'm sorry. I I don't mean to be irreverent or anything because there's a lot of things there that one can can learn from and and I took that away but you know what I said I said it's all vanity it doesn't even come close to the reality of the kingdom of God as revealed in the person of Christ and will be made manifest in its ultimate fullness when Jesus returns see I'm jacked up and if you really born again you jacked up because don't nothing come close and I know that's bad grammar don't nothing come close to the reality of the glory of God in Jesus Christ revealed in the scriptures and so when we have that hope of glory in us it tempers us on so many levels it 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 modifies everything it i can't be overly impressed i can't be overly excited i can't be uh so overwhelmed that i'm 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 ready to sell my birthright for for a pot of soup i mean i'm not esau thank god i'm 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 like jacob i i've been chosen i've been called i've been saved i've been quickened god's given me the inheritance in the person of christ and the hope of glory tempers all of these earthly, what we would call renowned places on earth that men have been just exalted and turned into 20-foot and 30-foot idols all over the place. And they have their significance, but not in heaven. James, thank you for your call, brother. Good to hear from you. We'll talk to you soon. Got to take a break. Two lines open, one 367 Two lines open, one 888 Three six seven five three two nine. You see, I got messed up some 40 years ago when Christ revealed himself to me. And I haven't found anything on planet Earth that comes close to the effulgence and magnificence and superlative brilliance and splendor of the son of the living God. I'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com